More TV superheroes, just what the world needs. Ugh. Warning. DC on R&D, the Doom Patrol edition, contains adult language and discussions, as well as the occasional sexually explicit joke, and from time to time, some crude and off-color remarks. If you're easily offended, don't continue to listen. And then go fuck yourself. Welcome to another episode of DC on RMD, the Doom Patrol edition. Today, we're going to be talking about episode seven of season one titled Therapy Patrol. Therapy. <laughs> oh, man, that scene where he's throwing Pringles at his face. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm like, that's like me on a diet when I'm trying. <laughs> like when I don't want to have fattening food, I'm just like, if I could just get the whiff of it, just, just throw, it my, of it. throw it in my mouth and I'll spit it out quickly. It won't count. Yeah. Another good episode, Dave. And this episode just might be the gloomiest, most depressing episode of TV I've ever watched. Hence why it's my favorite of the series right now. But, but it's so bizarre because this show isn't just, it isn't just morose. Yes, it gives you feelings of, uh, of depression sometimes, but they do manage to give you doses of levity right when you need it. Right when you need it, right when you're about to take that knife and put it to your wrist, you know, they have Cliff do something silly and, yeah. and then it lightens the mood before it goes too fucking dark. And dude, that that's a credit to the writers because they know the subject material that they're handling is yeah. really deep, yeah. but they have to keep their audience engaged because if they go too deep, they're going to lose their audience. Yeah. And this episode, I'm going to be honest, despite the, the fact that it was just stellar writing on so many different levels, Dave. This and I'm going to say this without exaggerating. This might be the best television show on TV within the last five years. Dude, Easily. I have not. I've watched a lot of geek shows and everything and no geek show. No, forget it, geek shows, Dave. No, well, Just shows, right? No shows. Yeah. No show has affected me much like Doom Patrol has. Yeah. Because like after this episode, no joke, I had to take a psychological walk. Yeah, Dave, that moment where Cliff started freaking out and having that meltdown, yeah. I had to turn it off for about a good two or three minutes. I don't know what it was about that scene, maybe because it had to do with kids and that. This whole episode had to do with child abuse. Oh, some there was form, a lot going on. Yeah, some form of child abuse. And I think at that moment, it just was too much. And I'm like, all right, I got to pause this for just a bit. I'm going to take a little walk around the house, drink some tea, calm myself, and then sit back down and watch. But that's a testament to the amount of fucking skills in that writing room. Forget, I know you said geek show, and you're right. This might be the best. No, Dave, not might. This is, you're right. This is the best comic book show of all time. Easily. 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 But I'd even go further saying it's probably one of the best shows of the last five years. Doesn't matter what genre it is. It's just so well written. Yes. And um, with this episode, as I was saying, Jeremy Carver and his team of writers found a clever way to really delve into some very real topics and a way to get our characters talking, which was a great catalyst to start learning more about our characters. And by doing so, we gained a bit more perspective on the problems that plague them. It's not a happy episode, as we were saying, but I will say they do manage, as I said, to bring that levity right before 
I'm about to end my life. <laughs> and I don't want people who are just now tuning in saying, oh, but I don't want this show's not for me then. I'm like, no, please don't. We are talking it up, but it is a, a very enjoyable show, but it's dealing with real problems. And and the writers managed to find that bit of humor when we need it without minimizing the importance of what they're saying. Yes. And I think that's crucial because sometimes you have shows that try to delve into these deep issues and then they try to bring that levity in. And sometimes it undermines the importance of what the message is. And I feel like sometimes it deals with the contents unfairly. Whereas this show has found that balance. Yes. Because like, don't forget, I mean, the last episode we were like going, man, that ended really depressing, but it yeah. made us, made the audience think about like a subject matter that not a lot of people want to talk about, yeah. which was taking care of our elderly and our sick. Yeah. This one like tackled, this is no joke. This is exactly how group therapy feels. Yeah. You have to literally share what's in your brain and that and a lot of people say oh that's easy and everything else but it's not when you go through group therapy it is the most uncomfortable thing you could possibly do because you're making yourself vulnerable yeah who wants to share their deepest darkest secrets with strangers exactly and like my favorite part about that was like when everyone's talking about things and cliff is sitting there and he's tapping his leg because he's he 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 so wants to get involved with the group therapy. That's what it's like. You have people like that in in your group therapy session. That after a while, you're like, okay, they've had their turn. I need to get this out of my system, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that breakdown, that psychotic breakdown, Cliff had. You know that. <laughs> I mean, it would appear that it was. Yes, he's having lots of issues. That's that's not uh, that's not in question. But it seemed like it w was brought about by Mister Nobody's influence in a <laughs> yes. rather silly but fitting way. And this is that levity we're talking about, Admiral Whiskers. Admiral Whiskers. <laughs> I mean, Dave. First off, is Admiral Whiskers in the comic books, or is this completely made up? This character. I think he was completely made up okay. because I can't uh, I can't remember a character like that. <laughs> but it would fit dude i laughed it would so fit hard with grant morrison oh it, yeah because i'm like yeah grant would come up with an admiral whiskers and that's another great thing about this writing room dave is that and this is something we talk about all the time when it comes to adaptations you don't need to do a paint by numbers adaptation making sure every aspect of the book and all its detail is in the comic book or movie whatever you're doing or tv show i should say as long as you are able to understand the source material and you can capture the essence and heart of the source material, that's, that's the, the goal. Part. Yeah. To and capture the heart of the, uh, of the material before you. Yeah. And that's why they can create a character like Admiral Whiskers and it works. It feels like it's one of Morrison's things. So I like that. And speaking of rats, okay, why is Rita far afraid of rats? I mean, she is kind of a little more grotesque. Then a rodent. I mean, she's afraid that while she's slithering down the uh, great. I feel more. I feel more sorry for the rat if he has to um, confront Blobby Rita. Poor rat's <laughs> probably afraid. Rita's all afraid that <laughs> she's afraid of the rat. What about the rat? <laughs> it's like that stereotypical thing about like the night. Uh, Rita is like the stereotypical 1950s woman who's afraid of the mouse that runs through the kitchen. 
and, and that's why I'm like, I was cranking up with the, uh, just like you, when Rita's like freaking out, oh, it's a rat that crawled out of him. I'm like, bitch, you were a blob like five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes were mouthing off the side of your bed. That, that didn't worry you? <laughs> that didn't gro- gross you out? Uh, and I like that they made fun of Cyborg's catchphrase. I'm oh, sure. The- <laughs> I'm sure Paul was very happy with that. I, I I just love how aware the writers are of the audience because it is a silly catchphrase. How many times now have we alone made fun of booyah? Yeah. Wait, is it booyah? Booyah. Booyah. <laughs> and I like the fact that he had to ask Grid, how many times have I used that <laughs> word? <laughs> oh man, this episode was so good. It was really good, I, and all the characters weren't wasted. No, I, I liked how they framed this episode. I know there were people talking on the interwebs. You know, how come they've taken so long to start dealing with these issues? You know, how come Larry has never bothered to communicate with the entity in the past 60 years? How come Rita is having so many issues with herself now and not over the last 60 years? And, and, and honestly, Mike, when I hear when I hear not, like not that, that there's a lot of people complaining by any yeah. means, M- most or of, criticisms when I hear criticisms yeah, like yeah. that, I always tell people, do you guys this shows the one thing that I've been like. Standing on a soapbox about this series is it's dealing with subject matters that people are afraid to touch. And when you say that, why didn't they deal with this? Why didn't they deal with this? It's been 60 years. I'm like, do you guys know what psychological trauma truly is? That's the point of this show. PTSD. Mental illness, PTSD, guilt, being a product of bad upbringing. Yeah. These are not problems that are dealt with easily. These are lifelong issues. And many times it takes a lifetime to even understand them yourself. And sadly, many times people go their entire life without ever having resolve. Uh Uh-huh. So for them not to handle these issues for that long makes plenty of sense. And I mean, at this and and this is the point of the show, as I was saying, it's a statement on society and how the American culture deals with these types of issues. And I use deals with air quotes because we choose not to most of the time. Most uh-huh. of society chooses to hide these problems because many times when we are open with these issues, we are judged That's why the American culture is sick. That's why the American society is sick because the way we view mental illness and the reason why they are just now talking about it. Let's look at a more practical reason. Okay. Other than just the, the implied. Okay. Mr. Nobody is the new equation. He's using these things against them now, currently not last week, not last year. He wants them to see all of their insecurities and weaknesses. So he has kind of jump started or at least um, speed. What's a good word for it? Kind of accelerated. He accelerated their issues to the point where they have to deal with them because he's using those very issues as a form of weapon to beat them. Yeah. So all of this makes sense. All of it makes sense. And it's like, like, especially like characters like Larry Trainer. I mean, yes. I've gotten a lot of talks that basically people say, well, why did he deal with, why did he stay with these issues for 60 years? I tell people that 
look at the real world. Why don't you go burn your face off and your body and then and then answer that and answer that. (laughs) That's not not an easy question. It's not an easy question or an easy question to answer. I should say it's even much more harder. Wait, what's the word? (laughs) I'm all out of sorts. (laughs) When you put it into context of like the real world and you say there are there are probably millions or thousands of people that are gay that are still in the closet. Why? Because they're afraid. Yeah. And Larry, uh, they, uh, I give them bad props. Me and you have been saying that negative man is one of our favorite characters in this episode. Why? Because he is so freaking relatable and believable as a character being, it's more than just being about gay. And yeah, I'm not a gay male, so I don't, I can't relate to that, but I relate to his issues of being closeted and being insecure because you're afraid of, of the way the world would view you or the, or the people you may hurt. Those are relatable issues. You don't need to be a gay male to understand these issues. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what make, makes this character so great is the fact that just the overall concept of insecurity and self-confidence, yeah. that relates to everybody. Yeah. And especially when we get into his issues and uh, the form of abuse that he had to go through as well. Oh, man. That was I mean, that was dark. Yeah. All right, so before we get into the episode, I want to take a moment to address a comment that was uh, sent to us from one of our loyal listeners. Uh, Sean Tankersley wrote, Hey man, getting caught up on your Doom Patrol discussions, you got me to sign up for DC Universe with what you've been sharing. So that's a plus for us. And I got to say the insight about Elastigirl being cursed to show her inner ugliness never even dawned on me until you said it. It's a simple concept given how rotten she is, but I never thought about it. Then he says, I have a question, though. Are all the Doom Patrol cursed, not just emotionally, but in the sense that they never age? I thought it was just a thing with Elastigirl, you know, and Robot Man, physical body can't age, and Negative Man. But now Jane can't seem to age, unless this is a manipulation by Mr. Nobody it is an odd thing about the crew. The asylum patients clearly age, but Jane and by extension, the chief did not. That's an interesting thought, but he might be onto something, Dave. And you being a Doom Patrol aficionado, you may have a little bit more insight on this, but that's an awesome way to look at things technically. Like if you poetically, I should say poetically, that works for me. Yeah, they they all are essentially cursed. They are destined to be frozen in time the moment their accidents occurred. Many, many comic book writers, especially like Grant Morrison in his writing, have used this metaphor to actually talk about their superheroes yeah. and give their superheroes kind of like a more of a substance because it's kind of like one of those tropes. Well, why doesn't Batman age? Why doesn't Superman age? Blah, 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 blah. And a lot of writers have actually used the trope like what he's talking about where they're cursed. Yeah. They're cursed to actually be like this because of the powers that they have. Yeah. But even more so with this show, I would say, I, I would say it's definitely a poetic statement. It's they're, they're, they're essentially frozen. They are cursed. They're frozen in the very moment of their deaths. And it's when not, you think about it. Yeah. And it's not like you have a, you might, you might have a Mr. Nobody doing like some weird thing, but you could actually say that in a lot of ways, each of them, each of their accidents is the one that froze them. Like what you said, they're frozen in time at the yeah. time of their death or their accidents. Or like, their Cause accident. I don't know anything about Jane yet, whether or not she has died It'll or, be, and it, we still don't know anything really about the chief either. So we'll yeah. see. I think all of that will be made more clear 
once we progress through the season for sure. All right, so let's get into this week's episode. The episode was directed by Rob Hardy and written by Neil Reynolds. So the big theme or statement this week that kept the narrative together was upbringing. The detrimental effects that bad parents have on their children. This is the kind of shit that happens every day that makes me believe that people should take tests before having kids. (laughs) Yes, there's no shittier person on this planet than people that hurt children, the the very people we are responsible for. And not just the obvious, not just clothes and food, but life and everything that comes with that. And we have to be very careful about what we subject these kids to. They're sponges at a very young age. They literally soak up everything. They're still forming their identities. There's that word. And this episode really had no fucks about making that statement. They placed the responsibility right on the fucking shoulders of parents. Yep. The dangers of neglect, physical, psychological, verbal abuse. All of these things have terrible effects on children. Now, I'm not saying that the episode was justifying bad behavior and taking all accountability away from the abused. They are forming an argument that many of these deep-rooted issues do have lasting effects and that it's a vicious cycle. In fact, I believe Cliff said as much. Bad parenting breeds bad parenting. Bad parenting, yeah. It's an abusive cycle, and the only way it can be stopped is by dealing with the issues itself, not running from it or trying to hide or even justifying it. And I like the fact that they didn't just come out and said bad parenting isn't you know, being abusive. Like, say, for example, like in the very beginning with Rita's parents, Rita's parents were not being abusive. All they really wanted to do was make Rita a better person. In their mind, they weren't thinking, oh, we we're hurting our child. Exactly. So they weren't evil people. They weren't but, evil people. But that's that's the dangers. That's what they're trying to say. They're trying yes. to say that abuse comes in various forms, forms and it's not always the obvious. Our actions always have consequences, no matter what, especially when you're dealing with children. When you're dealing with teaching a child, your actions always have a consequence, no matter what. Yeah, and you may not see it, but it's there. Yeah. And that's kind of what they've been saying about our heroes all season. You know, yes, their stories are sad, and yes, there are reasons behind their poor decisions as adults, but at the same time, they've got to face those issues and head on head on otherwise it will continue to spread like a disease like mental illness does it's a vicious cycle that you can hand you can hand down from one generation to the next to the next to the next i mean i can't tell you you know how many times i how many of my my own family luckily you know my mother broke the cycle but she was the last one she, all of my family were alcoholics neglected their children You know, and they felt like they were the best parents ever, but they put lasting effects on their children, on their children. Now, let's take a closer look at what you mentioned, because I completely agree with it. And for me, it's definitely one of the highlights of this of this episode. And it's Rita Farr's issues. So let's look at that a bit further, or at least what the writer showed us in this episode. I'm, I'm certain that there's a lot more to her backstory than just simply that scene that moment oh absolutely Uh, it's just a part it's just a portion yeah just a portion yeah now firstly we talk on we talked about 
we talked on a previous episode about not having a true identity and the many issues that come with not understanding who you are as a person and the many issues that come with not understanding who you are as a person and possibly your place or, or purpose and all of that. Well, in this episode, we get exactly that. So we're on to something here, Dave. We're, we're dissecting and interpreting these episodes pretty fucking good. I'm going to give us uh, give ourselves a pat on the back. I mean, the source of many issues that Rita has can be traced back to her childhood and that her parents are really the true culprits behind her current plight. They seem so intent on their daughter gaining fame and notoriety that in a sense, they stripped her of her real identity. Apparently, they took her out of school, they said. Yep. And they made her use her stage name. <laughs> yes. And that's a that's a big thing. You're dude. ripping away her identity. She didn't refer to herself as her own a- name. Her actual name. Yeah. Her name at that point became Rita Farr. Yeah. And I want to I want to talk about this school part because you don't just writers like this don't just put that little throwaway line in there for shits and giggles. Okay. Firstly, school is important, very important for kids in more than just the classical sense. Yes, they need to get their education, but it's also more importantly about social interaction. Yes. Learning to deal with other people, other different people. That social connection is how many kids begin to learn about themselves. Uh, an interpersonal skill set is one of many important ways Kids form their social identities. Then the more obvious atrocity is robbing the child of her name (laughs) on top of that. And all of this is the reasons behind why she is lost, alone, depressed, spiteful, because once she lost the only thing she actually identified as being a starlet, she no longer knew who she was. Yes. And that's why it's even... It was even more poetic and understandable when she starts melting and she's trying to say her mantra, which is, you know, the person who is the person who owns this leg is me. The person that owns this person is me. And she doesn't even say her name because she doesn't know her. She doesn't know her. How sad is that? Who is me? Yeah. And that's why she's having difficulties actually, you know, reforming herself because she has no idea who she who quote unquote me is. And it all stems back to actually the fact that, yeah, by her name, she is Rita Farr. But Rita Farr isn't the person that was born. Yeah. It's who it's whoever Rita was before she ever took her stage. Rita Farr is the shell of a person that her parents created. Yes. I mean, this show, Dave, it delves so deep into socio-political issues in such a way that it doesn't feel like it's grandstanding. And I know some people may watch a show like this and feel that way, but it's so subtle because you have to really dig to see the bigger messages. And if you know what to look for, it's there. It's there. All of our heroes suffer from identity problems. That's a given. And within the subtext of the narrative, you can see what the writers are saying. The show is so fucking deep. The writers are using the absurd and fictitious to explore areas that we as a society are struggling with currently today. There's also a social message there. Um, I I read a lot of health journals and we're going to deviate from the episode just a bit because I feel like there's a bigger message here, Dave. I read a lot of health journals on the psychology of American culture and society because 
I think most people can admit that we are in a weird place currently as a country. There are some great pieces being written on our current divide in this country, and many of these doctors are writing about the psychological reasons behind them. And it has less to do with the rise of white supremacy, racism, and hate. Now, don't get me wrong. Hate is very real, and it's present, and racism is, a, is very much alive there. and kicking. It's always been there, though. It's always been there. But they're also simply byproducts of identity problems. We as a society are more disconnected than we have ever been. Despite social media connecting us all, it has actually created a disconnect. A disconnect, yeah. We have lost the social groups we used to be a part of or that we identified with. Uh, for example, the decline of families or family groups, whether they be gay or straight. The decline of religious beliefs. Places of worship are not as common as years past. Kids are not being placed into clubs, camps, dance groups, little league, video games, and other forms of tech has replaced intimate relationships for a more lonely and isolated existence. Yes. And what a lot of this is doing is causing more and more people to identify with sub faux groups on social media platforms. We find the people that only think like ourselves and we don't challenge ourselves to socialize with others like we have done in years or past. different. Right. This is why so many people now identify themselves by their own personal politics. And when your personal politics is all that you identify with, there is little room for cognitive growth and debate. Politics. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember this. Politics used to be a private matter. But now it is no longer viewed that way by a lot of folks. We all have those friends on social media that most, mostly and all day long post nothing but, oh, the evil Democrats or, oh, the evil Republicans. Yes. Now, take that away from them. Those people that are obsessed. Take that away from them. What are they? What are they? What do they have? And my point is, is that identity is important for a healthy mind and the proper development of cognitive skills. Therapy Patrol, Dave, is a very apt title. Interpersonal group therapy is a powerful way to learn about ourselves and yep. our relationships with others. We get rid of all of that and we turn into what we are currently in this country. A divided mess. That's why this show is so fucking relevant dave because it's not just the obvious identity problems is what's plaguing this entire nation it's why we have the problems we have today yeah and it, it the funny part is it's kind of like when you take a look at it this is how true identity problems muster when you look at there, when, you, when you watch this episode mm -hmm. this is what it is the problem is nowadays people are just so you know, blase about, well, if you don't agree with me, I can either block you or unfriend you and just ignore you. Right. And that doesn't help the problem. Right. And and all of this is because of not having something to identify with. Yeah. And as and then we block people, we block interpersonal interpersonal relationships, which are vital to human growth. It has been a part of the human fabric since the dawn of time, being a part of groups, not tribes. Tribalism will kill us every single time. Groups, being a groups. part of groups, debate, 
discussion. These are things that we should learn about others because then we know truly who we are and we find other means to identify with other than divisive politics because that's all we have on social media is divisive politics. Yeah. I love this show, Dave. I love this show. <laughs> it's so you can interpret it in so many different ways. And, um, and the idea of identity is such a powerful statement, such a powerful statement. All right, Dave, you know, let's go to a very quick break and then we're not going to be so serious. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back. And we're gonna talk about animal whiskers and sexy Larry. We'll be right back. In the meantime, I'll be in that bag of gunk shit's office. Saving the world. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, BRAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. What are you looking at, nerd? Huh? I thought I was looking at my mother's old douchebag, but that's in Ohio. <laughs> Geek Out Saturday. And then, like, ants eat your remains. Like, <laughs> those books got real dark. <laughs> for kids. Or, like, one of them, like, you get... This is, the this the is fact that Marvel's been doing it for ten years doesn't mean so, it's easy. Hold on, though. Take Marvel out of the equation and forget okay. that they don't even exist television has been doing this for decades and i stumbled <laughs> upon it while i was hunting alligators and this guy starts whistling at you he beckons you so i thought it was a mission like a side mission so i went and then i realized what it was when it was too late yeah. i walked in yeah, the guy starts and that's you. how they go out like because the, the rebirth when they ditched the new 52 because the new 52 they weren't always on the best of terms they're back together or you know they end up getting back together because they feel something they don't know they just feel like the universe is pulling them together catch up on your favorite rain man digital geek shows every saturday dc on cw back to tank weird west radio the crossroads and more geek out saturday on rain man channel 001 hey ass butt Complain about that. I was just super bummed that she was old, and, uh, as you would be. As she wasn't as be. hot as she was last time, and she looked le- she looked more like the old version of what's uh, the chick in Kill Bill, the one that has. Oh, one eye, I, eye I know who you're talking. Thurman. Yeah. Wait, which one? The uh, Daryl Hannah? Yeah, Daryl Hannah. Uh, she looks <laughs> like a Sidewinder. Yeah, she looks like an old, beat up version of Sidewinder. Old, beat up version of Sidewinder. Don't beat. Right. You know, so there's rude. no room for ageism in this show. Ageism. That's a new one. That's not actually That's a real been, thing. It's been around for many years. Oh Jesus. That's not a fake word. <laughs> it sounds like a fake word. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Racism. Nice one, Mike. I'm glad you made that one up too. As if people get offended what, by when you degrade them for how old racism? they are. <laughs> 
<laughs> Look, no, get back in looked, there and make me a sandwich. She looked like she'd be the one that would drive backwards down the freaking highway because okay. she could bear. See, that is what we call ageism, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, it's, tr- it's more like truthism. <laughs> Go to Sun City here in Arizona. <laughs> Go to Sun City in Arizona. You'll see it. She probably lives there. Oh, for fuck's Lily sake. was like, I gotta come from Arizona. Anyway, regardless of Ryan's. <laughs> Hold on, I'll help you guys after I take my blood pressure medicine. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta take my Geritol real quick. Oh. <laughs> you guys have an extra walker I can use? I oh, left mine in Arizona. Walker. I left mine in Arizona. They made it's me check terrible. it when, when I went through the. I had to go through the, the machine, and my pacemaker might have gets. Oh, for fuck's so. sake! I hope someone horrible makes fun of you when you're old. Like just just throw shit you know at you. I'm gonna be the crotchety old guy that laughs at those jokes though, because I look like I'm old, dude. At that point, you, you've lived just about everything, right? You've so lived this, just about everything. You might as well make fun of yourself, dude. I'm gonna have like a replacement hip. Shit, my mom has a replacement hip. Now I'm making fun of my mom. <laughs> He's just digging himself. (laughs) So as Ryan tries to backpedal out of that grave, my mom doesn't listen to this. Whatever they have done (laughs) with Meredith Glenn, that's what we're worried about. Yeah, I know his mom's (laughs) ratings. Please don't, please, we don't want to offend Ryan's mother. (laughs) That's where we draw the line. Spawn this piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Don't miss Supernatural Crossroads every week. On Rain Man Digital, go to SupernaturalTheCrossroads.com for more information. Okay, you know you fucked all the way up now. You're pissing me off even more than she did. Nurnheim sucks. All right, welcome back, everybody, to DC on RMD's Doom Patrol. We are in the middle of breaking down episode seven of season one, titled Therapy Patrol. I am your host, Admiral Whiskers. That's going to be my new name. <laughs> That's your new name. That's my new on. name. I'm, you know what? I'm going to open up a Twitter account. Admiral Whiskers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about Larry's story. And I know I promised we weren't going to get you know, overly serious, but we have this topic we have to get through. Yeah. Uh, Larry, Larry's story is such a hard one to watch as well. Cause it's uncomfortable. I mean, he's putting that mirror up to society and making us all look at what hatred does to a child. Larry obviously knew he was gay at a very young age, but because he witnessed the disappointment of his parents, what did he do? He hid it. That was the start of him hiding his shame. He was not allowed to be who he was. This is probably why he felt like he had to create a false identity and not allow himself to be who he was. I mean, he harbors so much fucking resentment and hate for himself that he blames himself for everything that has happened. I mean, to him, to his family and his loved ones. And, you know, he very well may be the root of those problems, but he, too, is simply a byproduct of upbringing and an intolerant society. It's powerful, man, powerful stuff that you can't deny. You cannot deny that that type of talk. Imagine walking into your home and you hear your family talking about you in hushed tones of shame. It's traumatizing. Yeah, it's truly traumatizing because like it goes back to what we were saying is like as a parent, a lot of people don't understand that 
all your actions affect your child. Your kids look up to you. Your kids look up to you. Yeah. And imagine them hearing something that makes them feel completely uncertain about themselves. And the thing I like about that idea is it goes beyond even being a parent. You know, like the whole idea of, oh, I'm not a role model. Yes, you are. All of us are role models because people are constantly watching us. Yeah. You know, when a kid sees you down the street, he's going to automatically think, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Well, if he sees me picking my butt, he's probably just going to think I'm gross. Gross. <laughs> if I'm picking your, my butt in public, I'm not your I'm role model. I'm scratching my balls and yeah. right in the child's face. Oh, that's Jesus, right. David. That's a form of abuse. <laughs> are you a part of this show? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Uh, we also learned a bit more about the entity that's bound to Larry. It seems like it was trying to give him a second chance to do things right. I, again, I can only, I can only, I can only speculate, you know, possibly a lesson to learn or at the very least a reprieve from his guilt ridden life. Now, these are the questions that this presented for me, Dave, and I'm going to need your help here. Now, if the entity is able to do what he did this week, it takes me back to the previous episode discussion we had about uh, Larry, when he goes, when he goes bye-bye and the entity leaves his body, we had theorized that it was hell because he saw his family and loved ones burn. Yes. But after seeing that whole sequence, this episode with Larry and his boyfriend, perhaps it's not just simply hell he goes to. Maybe it's not as simple as that, but perhaps it's some type of the afterlife in general. I think it's his guilt. It's honestly his guilt because if you notice. So you think it's just simply he is when he when when the entity leaves his body, what he sees and feels is simply a manifestation of his own self-hatred and guilt. Is that that what you kind of think? I kind of think that way. But then you also throw the fact that, well, wait a minute, but we will always been saying that he quote unquote dies every time the creature does that to him. So is that his afterlife yeah i'm I'm thinking that you may not even know dave like because it's very it's very meta and also it's very different from the comic book and i would think yes. that a big aspect like his like the mystery by behind that entity and him i don't feel like carver would just pull it verbatim from no. the source material because I, there'll be no mystery for the people that read the comic i'll books. tell you right now the the backstory in the comics is an atypical comic book story. What they did with this is really give this much more a diverse, more depth and depth. Yeah, when it comes to characters, because like in the comics, it's cheese, it's cheese factor that the no, it's cheese being, factor in this too. The being the <laughs> the being is a alien from another dimension, and then you know you have him merging with three other people, and it's very comic booky. But this one's more relatable. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's like a celestial being of sorts in the in the TV show. In the TV show, I'm I'm like thinking maybe it's a celestial being, but he did get it. He, the, the being did show up when he went into space, right? But also, didn't it happen? Didn't it bind with him at his moment of death, though? See, that's the question. That's why I said this is like it, with Larry. It's so complicated because is he? Are they saying that basically are they trying to tackle something about faith or is this actually something like 
an alien species that's in space. And you know what? It very well can be like an like an alien of sorts. As we know, the DC universe is governed by all types of different facets. facets and yeah. hell is essentially another dimension. Heaven is essentially another dimension. And places where the gods hang their hats is another dimension of sorts. Another dimension. It's not another world. It's another dimension. So, I mean, they can go almost anywhere. They can go with anywhere with Larry at this point. And it, it really, the thing about trainer in the, in the show is he, it's made a character that basically in the comic books, he's not this deep. He's not this diverse. Yeah. And it's like, they were able to actually make this character very, very even better than the comic book. Have you heard anything from the Grant Morrison front on this TV series, like his thoughts on it? Because because if I was Grant Morrison, I'd be happy as shit. I'd be like, "Fuck, you guys turned my comic book into like fantasticness." I haven't heard. I haven't heard what Grant thinks about like the TV I, show. I by can't no, imagine him hating it. I have to think yeah, he loves it. I know that basically ever since the the series began, everyone said they are following Grant's lead, which was. They wanted to. They wanted to actually do a story that was inspired by Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol. Yeah. So I know that he knows about it. However, because well, he's getting those che- those checks too. Yeah. He's getting How, he's getting he's getting that money mailed to him every week now. However, too. what he thinks, I have no idea. I mean, no one uh, no one's ever asked Grant Morrison like, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about the fact that they're tackling your story? Is he one and of those getting it right? Is he one of those writers that kind of keeps his mouth shut anyways about things, or is he one of those more outspoken ones? No, Grant Grant tends to be a bit more laid back. I mean, he's not Alan Moore. Yeah, because if Alan <laughs> Moore had Alan written Moore. Doom Patrol and he hated it, he would make sure everyone knew. <laughs> That's why I'm so interested when Swamp Thing comes out. And I'm going to watch Swamp Thing if it's really good and then wait for Alan Moore to complain. Now, are they using, <laughs> are they going to use Alan Moore's um, run on uh, for Swamp Thing? Or That's what his run says. of Swamp Thing for the TV show, I should say. That's what everyone says is like they're going to actually tackle like the the famous Alan Moore storyline of Swamp Thing dealing with the green and God, God all the it, metaphysical Dave. stuff. Another show we're gonna have to talk about. <laughs> oh, dude, that's gonna be so weird because that that deals with Swamp Thing and Alan Moore. Alan Moore went religious, but but, I'll, <laughs> but I'm gonna say something here, Dave. Um, after Doom Patrol, there's a lot to live up to now. For the DC universe. Now I know every yeah. show, not every show has to be this deep or this fantastic. And don't get me wrong. Titans, I thought is an a plus show. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed Titans the fuck A-plus. out of it. It's just a different type of show. But now that you have something like this, that is critically acclaimed, people are eating it up, both fans and critics. I mean, where do you go? Like how, the pressure is on now for swamp thing. If I was the showrunner for swamp thing, I'm like, God damn it. The thing that has me really psyched is with doom patrol. They were able to actually tell stories that deal with psychological trauma and, yeah. and uh, it's the perfect playground for that play, perfect playground for that yeah. swamp thing from all sounds. They're going to be dealing with Buddhism that Alan Moore was talking about religion, the green, what does it mean after you die? Okay. Which was the whole story about Alec Holland. Is he, a, is the, the question in Swamp Thing was, did Alec Holland die? And, or is Swamp Thing Alec Holland? And huh. it's like, it's very metaphysical. If they do like, they continue this trend. Oh my God, dude, I'm going to love DC universe so much. 
because well, they're, 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 they're dude, they're two for two right they're now. They're two for two. Yeah. All right. So let's get back on track here. Let's talk about Cyborg. Um, he is struggling to take control of his life slash identity. He has been toyed with so much by his father and now Mr. Nobody that he doesn't even know what is necessarily true when it comes to his memories. After going into the donkey's butthole, <laughs> he has had to face potential, you know, perspective switches like a potential a potential perspective switch. Uh, he says that he feels responsible now for his mother's death, but he's not sure if he's that was sure. Mr. Nobody giving him false memories or if his father was keeping those memories from him in order to protect him. Or even if his father implanted those memories in him. Because his as father, a way to control him? As a way to control Jesus him. Christ, dude. That is fucking twisted. And yeah. Can we forgive his father after doing something like that? No. Well, look, Stone, Stone's been portrayed as a very in-between character. You're he's kind gray. of not sure. He's a gray guy. Yeah, he's a gray character yeah. because you're not sure, okay, is he doing this for the best of his son? Or is he just doing this for the betterment of himself? Well, that goes right into the whole Rita Farr equation. And in a lot of ways, Victor Stone is 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 like her parents. He's living vicariously through his, through son. his son. Yeah. I mean, Cyborg is not as mentally broken as the others, but his problems are just as real. I mean, parents, again, don't realize sometimes the stress they place on their children. And Silas Stone, I wouldn't say is a bad man, but it, it does seem like Victor has tried or I'm sorry. Yes, Vic, it does seem like Victor has tried to live most of his life to please his father. To please his father. And not wanting to upset him. That was a the big, I think that was the point of that very brief flashback sequence that we got when he was a kid. And he broke his arm. It's like he didn't want to disappoint or upset his father. Yeah, what did his mom say? Oh, your father, we don't have to tell your father. Yeah, and because of that, you have a kid that doesn't really know what he wants to be or who he wants to be, or who he is or who he wants to be. And Victor is steering his child where he wants his life to be and not really bothering to ask what he wants to do. Yeah. I mean, look at his whole push for Victor to be, um, I should say Silas. I said Victor again. I'm getting these names confused. Silas is steering his child where he wants his life to be yeah. and not bothering to ask um, Victor. Where, that's why where it was where he would like to be or what he would like to do with his life. And that's why we had that whole push. I want to say in the first two episodes or the first two or three episodes where um, where Silas was really adamant about we need to get you ready for Justice League. It's like that's his dream. That's Silas's dream to get Victor in on board the Justice League team. Yes. And that's why I am really wondering what the payoff for the for cyborg story arc is going to be because silas is like that big question mark it's obvious that basically victor wants to live up to his father's ideals but are his father's ideals even honorable yeah because like that was the thing that i got from uh that flashback with his mom was the fact that oh they wanted to just make sure that his father didn't know anything yeah, know that he heard. Him. Why not? Why I, would you? Why would you keep the fact that basically my son just basically broke his arm? Yeah. No, I want to know that my son got hurt. Is he okay? Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty okay? sad, dude. And I mean, that's a pretty 
accurate depiction of my life growing up with my real father. And luckily, we didn't grow up with him very long. He's a great father now, but he's a, an okay father now, I should say. Uh, but as as a child, from the time you know of our birth to five, I remember this day that w- I mean, I got my lip ripped open by a dog when I was three, and my mother didn't want to tell my dad because she was terrified of what he would do. I mean, that's not a fun existence to live in fear of either disappointing your parent or being afraid of what they may do. So I don't think Victor, I don't think Silas, I should say, is a bad person, but he's definitely misguided and pushing a lot of his own inadequacies and his problems of security onto his son. About insecurity, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about this this series that I really like is like, the villains, there's not really a clear-cut villain, even with, like, Mr. Nobody and... He's there just to create chaos. Chaos. But, like, if you look at all the characters, there's not really any bad person. They're just basically people who are broken or who have personal insecurities that make them not the most perfect person in the world, you know? Like, that's why... Going back to like Cyborg, it's it's a really interesting point when you look at Cyborg and you basically say, who is the person that's causing the problem here? It's not Cyborg. It's it's Silas. It all stems from his father because all his father, his father can't even hug his son. That's what uh, the, uh, I remember the past uh, that's, that's intimacy issues right there. Yeah, he can't. When uh, Cyborg looks at him and says, dad, and then basically just hugs him. Silas is like, uh, what the hell is, what, what are you doing? And it's like, you can't even hug your own son. That says a lot about you yeah, as a person, not just as a father, but as you. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously there's a nurturing issue there. The fact, again, the fact that he didn't want his father to know he was hurt. Yeah. And the fact that he couldn't even get a hug from his father. From his father. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I bet you if they were to delve into Victor's past or I always I'm getting these confused. Uh, Silas's past, the father, I'm sure that he had similar issues with his dad. And it goes right back to what Cliff said about, you know, this being a vicious cycle. And honestly, for me this week, I think that is the saddest story um, was the Cliff story. I as I said at the top of the show, I had to turn off the episode, push pause and take a little break. Because when Cliff started having that psychological breakdown and he was forced to take a look in the mirror and realize that his daughter might very well be better off without him. I mean, fuck, dude. That's a performance right there. And I I just want to take a moment out to say, holy shit, Brendan Fraser. (laughs) Where have you been for 20 years with that type of talent? Where the fuck have you been? If a guy can get that a bunch of that um, that amount of emotion in a performance through a voiceover, David, and you can feel that pain. And again, I don't want to take away from the actual performer because again, Brendan Fraser and the actor that's actually in the costume are working together to create this fantastic character. And I forget his name, and I apologize. It won't happen again after this week. They're working so brilliantly brilliantly together to convey an idea and this week it just came to a head all that work all that build up over the past seven episodes came to a head 
And I feel like Brendan Fraser in the briefest of moments might have given one of his best performances in his career, Dave. Because if it can instill, if it could create an emotional response like it did with me this week, and I had to push pause, that's that's good. That's a good performance, Dave. Oh yeah, that's absolutely. what those performances are supposed are to supposed do. to do. Every great actor always wants that role. They want that role where they can bring the audience into the performance. They want it to be immersive. They want them to feel what they feel. And he did just that. Fucking fantastic. Oh, it was awesome. It was intense because like, just like you, this episode hit a very personal tone with me, especially watching the whole group go through an actual group therapy session because it gave me flashbacks of like me going through therapy, me going through like those really uncomfortable moments and having to share uh, things about me that basically made me really uncomfortable with complete strangers and watching cliff go through it. I was cliff. I was actually cliff in a couple therapy sessions where it was like, I want therapy. I want therapy. Yes. Group therapy. Yay. (laughs) And, but when it comes to you, when it comes to your sharing, it breaks you down Yeah, because you all of a sudden are talking about it and then it hits you like a ton of bricks. Like this is how I picture myself. I am fucked up. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's, that's what happened to cliff was like, he shared and, he ended up having that psychological break where it's like, oh, my God, I'm not my girl's father anymore. Yeah. That hurt. That hurt. Because it, was, it I felt for Cliff at that point because, like, you know, yes, he died and his daughter had to move on. And his friend, I'm guessing that that was his friend that be, basically became a surrogate father to her. She refers to him as dad. Yeah, and I'm wondering if that illusion that he had when he had that breakdown, I'm wondering if that was essentially him. Maybe that's how he felt. And maybe that's the guilt that he's living with as well. Never mind the obvious, you know, feeling responsible for the death of his wife and essentially him and leaving his daughter without her parents. Maybe that the way his best friend was talking to him is how he felt when he had a child. That she's going to break up the bachelor scene. Now I have a child I have to worry about. Exactly. She really slowed my life down. And, and, and in a way, all that Cliff, what the dad was representing. Was him. Was him. Yeah. And his excuses of why, what makes him a great father. And the fact of the matter was, that's what Cliff was doing. Yeah. I and mean, then when he comes to realize that he got like literally shuts down. Oh yeah. He had like an, uh, he had like an existential crisis. crisis. He, he was questioning everything so much that it broke him. He couldn't deal with it. And his body and mind just stopped. I mean, how, and, but how much of this, I'm not saying his feelings weren't true. They absolutely were coming through, but how much of this was due to Admiral Whiskers that wanted revenge for the death of his mother. <laughs> that was so awesome. I, I guess we don't know as of now, but whatever it did, it, it it possibly heightened whatever he was already feeling. Yes. I think the whole point, the whole point of Admiral Whiskers was to make Cliff just shut down. What an origin story Admiral Whiskers had too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dude, I hope they keep using a man. Oh, dude, I was cracking up because someone pointed out that Admiral Whiskers is basically Batman of the rat world. <laughs> I saw that tweet going around. And I was like cracking up. like going, well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Batman is Admiral and a, Whiskers. And a group of jokers killed the mom. <laughs> jokers killed the mom. <laughs> oh, my God. This show is so fantastic. Oh, it is. All right, so we don't get much on Jane this week. No doubt the writers are wanting to maintain most of her backstory as a mystery for the, for now. Well, not only that, because like psychologically, it's understandable because Jane is probably the most complicated problem that they have. Well, that's what I was going to say. DID is like, that's not something that's easily handled in group therapy. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say, because group therapy, you know, doesn't really make sense for a character like her. The very condition of DID is created because the core identity cannot cope, talk or deal with their problems. And that's why they wish to hide from it and create an identity. So having her other personalities or identities unwilling to open up actually makes sense. In fact, I probably would have felt a little disappointed if she did. In fact, when she was going to start talking, I figured it was going to be some lie. But she was going to be jerking everybody off, you know, jerk, no. jerking their chains. But basically what ended up happening was what I, what I know as is like defensive. It's a defensive. Uh, a defensive mechanism. Mechanism yeah, to the internally. psychology. Yeah. is like she literally lashed out. And that, that happens, especially when you're dealing in group therapy. Oh boy, what she did was just her mind was like saying, no, I am not playing this game. And it makes it makes sense because DID, essentially she's having her own group therapy because of how many personalities she has. Yeah. <laughs> now, we did get a scene where Jane was, I believe it was Jane. Uh, it was really quick. Was a baby crying in her crib and some dude, I can assume. Oh, dude, that was crazy. I assume it was her father just yep. walked in and kind of stared down at, down at her while she was crying and just ignored her. Yeah, that was that was creepy and dark. That was probably the most dark element in the story when it came to the parents. Yeah, I hate that, dude. I, I Again, uh, very relatable. Not to me personally, but my ex-wife, that's how her parents treated her. Like they and not because of that whole like, oh, we want, you know, self-sustainability and learning how to take care. Yeah. It's not that new age bullshit that started in like the mid 2000s. Yeah. It was cruelness. It was cruel. You ruined my life when you were born and we're going to leave you in your crib to cry yourself to sleep. That's what they did to her. And they admitted it years later. Obviously, she was a child and didn't remember, but she was so emotionally and psychologically broken. And in therapy, her mom finally came around and realized she made lots of mistakes and she openly admitted that they would throw her in the crib and just stare at her hatefully while she cried. Yep. That's fucking awful, man. It's awful. Awful. It, it's an absolutely really horrible scene when it when you take it into context of being a parent. Yeah, it's it's horrible. All right, so overall this episode was excellent. Obviously, we love to wallow in in depressive <laughs> in depression, but it was just a great way to expose the many different forms of abuse. And I think most people, when they hear abuse, they think physical, but abuse can take on many different forms, all of which is is very, very harmful. And that was the big statement I feel behind this week's episode. Yeah, Uh, it's all about subtle, subtle abuse. Subtle abuse is like the worst thing by far. Yeah. Well, because I think sometimes when it's physical. Other people can intervene 
and you say, could deal with it easier, actually. Right, because I think people can, I don't want to say physical abuse is easy, but it's an easier subject to handle because they know exactly what the cause of it is. Yes. Why are you like this? Why are you my like father this? or my mother beat me. But with other forms of abuse, it's a little bit harder to dissect and understand what happened because many times the kids themselves don't view how they grew up as a form of abuse. They feel like it's the norm. That's how it should have been or that's how it should be. So a very powerful episode. Dave, give me your final thoughts in a nutshell. My final thoughts in a nutshell. Obviously, I've already stated this in this episode, but this is absolutely my most favorite episode to date in Doom Patrol. It hit a very personal chord for me. I liked it. It got me so emotionally attached to the characters that basically afterwards I walked out of my apartment, walked around and I had to take a psychological walk, which is where I have to do. I have to walk and literally talk out what I want in my group therapy. And I literally had that. That is amazing testament to the writers to be able to do that in an episode and not leave me a depressed mess. Because just like what you said, they were able to tackle a sensitive subject that's serious and dark, but still was able to make it entertaining, enlightening, and palatable. Yeah. To the point that basically afterwards I looked at it and says, damn, that was a good episode. I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> And and sure enough, I did. When I got home, I watched it again, and I was like, going, this is really, really good. I can't say any more to just, you know, suck this series off, okay? <laughs> I mean, this series is just fantastic. I know, and, I, and I, I feel like that's what we're doing, especially in this discussion, but it's not that we're blowing this show. Yes, we are. We are definitely deep-throating this show, but... It's worthy of a good deep throat. It's well, that good of a show. Uh, let me say this. The reason why I say that this is a damn great show, and I do agree with Mike that basically. I am Mike. Or I agree with you that basically <laughs> this is by far the best superhero show out there to date. Easily. Easily. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because when I look at a lot of like the other shows, I like go, okay, you did a show of this superhero, but you didn't do anything for me. You didn't do anything. All it is is just cookie cutter. It's flashy. Uh, you throw some bitch music, try to be quirky, try to be funny, and that's it. You don't have any substance to your show. And it makes it really difficult nowadays to watch certain shows. I don't want to say certain shows, but certain show names, but there is more shows, superhero shows out there that are just such a damn shame to watch. And you like go, this is what they're trying to do. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, this concludes this week's discussion on, or this episode's discussion on doom patrol. Season one, episode seven, Therapy Patrol. And uh, if we can manage to recoup and uh, and not kill ourselves, <laughs> we're we, need, we need time in that in, in that uh, uh, that 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 giant chamber of uh, von fucks. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> I think what we need is our own therapy patrol. I think I think that, you know what that's what you and I are going to do right now after we end the show. <laughs> All right, good night, everyone. Now comes there. 
Yeah!